she's getting too out of hand now we've got to send her away it's like oh yeah back in like the 1600s they'd be like oh this woman can like what like i don't know do it lift an lift an axe but she's just a small little woman she shouldn't be doing that burn her she's a witch like i got those kinds of vibes from it it's just like people who like maybe back in those days like the 70s i guess women were supposed to be like seen and not heard that's that's like a big theme i got from it yeah i've um heard a lot of people say that to be fair that um the film in a lot of ways is kind of like a feminist statement in how women are kind of treated differently to to men and someone who's just like slightly weird will get like treated like she's just batshit insane even though she maybe isn't so much it's like um nick her husband he's almost as crazy as she is like in some ways he's even worse yeah like he takes his kids out of school gets them drunk and he thinks that's like good parenting and but no one really questions him because everyone's just focused on mabel and how i wouldn't even say She's she's just an eccentric person, and she's got a lot of like ticks and problems. But I feel like it'd be a lot more manageable in today's kind of world than it was in the seventies. Yeah, and also throughout, you see that like um her ticks and stuff, and just how like eccentric and weird and awkward she is. That kind of only happens like super severely when her husband is practically like abusing her, whether it's physically or even just mentally. She's at her like lowest point and at her craziest point when he's treating her like shit and making her environment so much worse. Yeah, there's like a line at the beginning where like the Nick's Nick, his workmates are like, "Oh, she's crazy," and he's like, "Mabel's not crazy. She's unusual." I'm like, "What a way to describe your own wife! <laughs> why, are you, why, are you, why are you saying that?" I like the scene where she um she goes like out like, after she's been stood up by Nick. And then she like picks up a guy, and then afterwards, like it was like a horrible scene where where she's just like saying no, and then like it cuts, and then like he's still there the next day. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ! And then like he, she like goes in the shower, and he's like, oh, you all right? You all right there, doll? And she she was just like in the shower. He's like, oh, okay, as long as the shower's running, you're all right. I'm like what? <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, it was kind of weird how they pretty much gloss over the fact that she was basically sexually assaulted like in the first like 10 minutes of the film yeah it was horrible um that dinner table scene i think it's the same morning when nick gets home from work after working all night to me that's like one of the most excruciatingly painful scenes to watch because it's it starts out okay and you can see that mabel's desperately trying just to like be normal and she gets more of herself comes out and she starts like singing and getting people to dance and stuff and nick obviously just screams at her and oh it's it's so painful to watch and it goes on for so long i was like please just end this now like yeah i felt constantly on edge throughout that scene because like you could just any point you feel like mabel could like snap or say something that was like a bit off and like nick would like snack and, and get angry about it and like there's like multiple bits where she's like just she's being normal and like she's like smiling at Nick like she's doing a good job. That stuff's like really hard to watch. Mm. That's like all yeah. throughout it though. She's like always looking to him to see if like she's doing a good job being a person and he's like, Oh but it's like never enough for him. But just like why don't you just let her be herself, man? It's like so what she says like a few embarrassing things over dinner. She's just trying to get to know like the people you work with. So it's just like it's always this like this like really like frayed dynamic with those two that I really enjoyed. It's a it's a strange one as well because he must he must love her because he married her 
and he stands by her for the most part throughout the whole film. And not once does he ever talk about divorce or anything like that, but he just, it's like he doesn't know how to show it or express it and accept her for who she is, which I think just obviously sets her on edge throughout pretty much the whole film. Yeah. You do have that scene like right at the end where he's like washing the blood off her hand. She's like asks, do you love me? And he's just like, I, uh, and then he like changes the subject. Yeah. Mm, I'm sad. <laughs> it was like, it was just a really sad movie. And mm. she gets back and she's like been like, like castrated in a way. She's just like, she can't be herself anymore. It's like they've taken all, the, all that she was out of her. It's like, like sure, you go go to like a a hospital for like uh, mental disorders if, if that's what's going to help. But she didn't really feel like she needed like that kind of help, honestly. And then like she gets back, they've taken away her entire personality. It's just very sad. Yeah, it's a very emotionally... Um, draining movie at points. I especially felt that like the first time around, like I was just like so upset watching the film. I remember having to take a couple of breaks because it just like was really, really getting to me, which I didn't feel quite as much this time. But it's still like a very sad movie. And Nick's like always threatening to kill people. I'm like, what? It became yeah, like very apparent to me, like in like near the end as well. He's like saying that he'll kill her, he'll kill the kids. I'm like, it's you, man. You're the one that's like this terrible person. You should probably be locked up. Like, get some help at least. Yeah. But back in those days, I mean, I guess it was fine for men to like beat their wives or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, that's it. Was like just proper like toxic masculinity, isn't it? It's like he's. He can't look at his own problems. He has to just deflect everything and say that it's all Mabel, 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 when really he has so many issues that he just doesn't even want to touch upon. Yeah. yeah. He sets everyone against her as well, like her own mother, her kids, and her, mm. his mum. She's like, his mum, I really liked his mum. She was like, like insane. She was like, ah, oh, the, the kid, the kid's naked. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> That line made me laugh so much. Yeah, it's the way she delivered so it. Fun, it was yeah. great. It's like, she's crazy. She's mad. Her children are naked and hungry. I'm like, okay. Oh, I love her. She's so good. Yeah, that was John Cassavetti's actual mum. Yeah. Yeah, because really. yeah, they have um, Gina Rowland's actual mum play mm. her. That was really... I think that's like a great idea because they look like identical. I think it really adds to the realism in the film. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It's good casting. Just really good casting all around, I thought. Even like these people who play like these horrible people. It's just like you get like such visceral reactions from them. I like when like he's like she comes home and like I don't really know what he wants her to do. He's like, just be yourself, just be yourself. You like they're up on the stairs, he's like, ah, give me a bar bar. He's like bar bar I'm like, what the hell is happening? He's like, ah, give me a real bar bar. I'm like, what what's that? What's bar bar? <laughs> Yeah. He says, like, the most horrible things to people. <laughs> like, he's at work after, like, she's been committed, and he's, like, coming to blows with his co-worker. He's like, ah, oh, you goddamn Mexican Indian, don't you walk away from me! And then, like, falls down the hill. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the acting generally is really great. I think Peter Falk is fantastic, but Gina Rowlands is just incredible in this movie. She just completely disappears into the character. I think this is, like, one of my favourite performances in any film. And she's also incredible in the film Opening Night, also by um, John Cassavetes. 
that's like also one of my f- favorite roles in any film. She just does a great job of just always disappearing and peering into the character and putting literally everything she has into it and delivering just greatness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, J- John Cassavetes, because he was an actor before he was a director, he pretty much the whole onset experience for his cast is just making sure he gets the best performances. So he, he does, he forgets to do a lot of technical things right so he can get the great performances that he gets out of people. And you can see in this film, like Gina Rollins is just next level good. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I like when they were like all in the bed and she's trying to get the kids off to school or something. She's just like there in the background making faces like, <laughs> oh, what's going on? What's happening? Can you believe this? Like nobody's looking at her, but she's just like in the background making faces. Loved it. Yeah. I found a lot of um, the scenes have like great like emotional arcs where like when they start off, it's like super uplifting and happy. And then suddenly it'll just like switch and get quite dark and upsetting. Like um, the children's party scene where you got this guy, Mr. Jensen, who brings his kids around. And Mabel's like, oh, come on, stay for a bit. Let's party. And like, they're all having like lots of fun. She's like playing with all the kids, getting this guy involved. And eventually he's just like, I don't want my kids here anymore. I think you're a bit crazy. And then Nick comes home, like slaps her, starts fighting this guy. It like, it just suddenly is like this huge 180 in like emotions. And I think it's just incredibly well handled. She's insane. Partying with the kids, could you believe that? Having a good time, and being a woman as well. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think there, there was a lot of long scenes. Um, so when I think back to it, it's more like, like I can name like maybe like five things that happen, because like it's just like a bunch of long scenes. I felt like, I don't know about you guys, but they kind of like grated on me just like a little bit, because maybe, maybe that's something that would... Uh, like I wouldn't notice it as much on the second go round, but with this, it kind of, it kind of did. Like this movie is like two and a half hours, and I definitely felt the time. Yeah, I think I felt it the first time around, but this time around, it kind of just flew by for me. Yeah, I get so invested and caught up in it. It's just like watching life, like real life, unfold. I kind of can't turn away from it. Yeah, but I can. It is. You can. Like I get why people would feel the length because it is quite a long film and like you said not a lot happens and it's kind of just like six or seven really long scenes yeah again sometimes i like that in movies um and i feel like this probably would get better on a on a second watch honestly um i don't i don't but then again i don't know if i watch it again for maybe like a year or something i don't know because it's a lot it's a it's a very like it's got a lot of it's got a lot to it it's got a lot of depth to it um there's a lot going on a lot of moving parts but um, it, it all comes together really well. Yeah, it does. I love um, the visual style to the film. Like, it's very claustrophobic. In a way, it's like almost looks like a documentary in how it's shot, like how just like the colouring's just all very lifelike and how everything's like so cli- so like handheld and like closely shot. I think um, they use the cameras in such a great way. Like, they cram like every important detail they can into the frame to the point where like, there's bits that like are fair, barely fit in this frame. Like it's so incredibly tight. There's like very little room to breathe. But I think that's what makes it just so effective. Yeah, like the part where she comes home, she sees her kids for the first time in like six months. That was like really sad as well. But it's yeah. just like this like really tight shot of just her face 
and she like sees them again and like they're hugging her but really love that that was like really claustrophobic as well but it's like you need to see like how she's reacting or maybe she's like she's trying not to be too over the top with it even though she maybe she really wants to be yeah i felt like that was another scene that's quite stressful like um even before she like comes home where there's loads of people in the house there's like so much noise going on everyone's like talking over each other and shouting and like even when they take everyone out there's like it's still kind of tense and overwhelming in a way because everyone's talking at the same time all talking over each other you just see like mabel just stood there in silence kind of not really knowing what to do it just it feels very tense that whole sequence yeah and they had more people as well there before just like a bunch of people there. And then, it, and then Nick's like, maybe this isn't the best idea, actually, to have like literally everyone we know in this one house. Yeah, it's like Nick's just unable to be alone with Mabel and the kids. He always has to have multiple people around him. It's, yeah. It says something, though, doesn't it? The best like, about their relationship. Like, he can't even answer if he loves her anymore. Just like, maybe, maybe he did once, but now not so much. Just, mm. I don't know. Like... If she's really embarrassing him that much, then, like, I don't know, like, if this is something that she's kind of, like, leaned into more as the relationship got going, or is, um, or maybe she was just always like this, and now he's just, like, grown apart from it, I don't know. Um, but I do, I do like their, like, like, the separation of it, like, how, like, he acts and, like, the, the kind of, contrast between how she acts it's like well maybe you shouldn't have got married in the first place if this was like if you don't really even love her if that's like it doesn't seem like you do yeah yeah i love just the whole like um just their relationship and like the relationship with the children and how they react like how they basically um they don't really like nick that much they don't really want to spend time with him um like they just kind of seem bored even like even in that scene where they're like on the beach and like sharing a beer in the back of the truck, they just seem like quite calm and quiet and kind of bored in a way. But anytime they're with Mabel, they're super like excited and happy and they're like running around playing. I think yeah, all of that stuff's really great. All he does is hang out with his work friends. He's like on this dig site or whatever. All he knows how to do is like have beers with the boys. Who's like, ah, oh, beers with the kids. That's the same, right? Like, no, man, that's not the same at all. Like, you don't even know how to hang out with your kids. Like, you, why, why are you still there? Yeah, it's like Nick wants approval from everyone, and the only way he feels like he can get approval is by getting a drunk. Like, even his kids. Yeah. It's just yeah. the more I watch it, the more I think that Nick is actually the one that has the issues, and Mabel's yeah. kind of just normal. Like, she's just eccentric and is a unique personality but nick's got some really deep-rooted dark things that he needs to sort out yeah Yeah. that was how i felt this time around i think the first time around i thought like mabel was like genuinely mentally ill and the only way nick kind of acted like that was because like the strain of it was just so much for him that he'd like started to snap himself but this time around i just thought the complete opposite like i feel like mabel's just a bit weird but there's nothing really wrong with her and nick is the one that's got loads of problems and like you said it's like the toxic masculinity thing yeah she just like so what if she's that eccentric you know it's like if you can't bear to be around that it's like he definitely does have a lot of problems like 
I just feel like like what life must be so boring if like all you all you all you are is just like how you want to be perceived by other people. Like you get a lot from Mabel's character is that she kind of doesn't care about what what other people think about her. Maybe she she loves people. She definitely loves people and she loves interacting with people. But then it's like with Nick, it's kind of like he he's kind of the shutting almost. He's like he can't express himself really, and that's honest. That's honestly a problem. We just like. I feel men in general, uh, especially like yeah. back in the seventies, very, very enclosed, very scared to show how they really feel. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty like impressive how John Cassavetes like managed to tackle this sort of thing back then so effectively because it it holds up so well today. Like this is still stuff that's like very relatable and very like still rooted, kind of in our culture now in a lot of ways yeah and that's sad too <laughs> that's still very sad I like when they're like on the porch she's like to the kid she's like oh make a muscle for me would you he's like ah oh, ma for god's sake <laughs> yeah that whole scene super spaghetti. sweet where like she picks him up from school and like she's like asking if they think she's crazy the bit's just like so wholesome yeah there's a lot of How nice places. is that kid as well? Literally says like the perfect thing. Just cheers her right up. Yeah. Yeah. This is like there's like a good moment when she's meeting them again after she's been in hospital. She's like, uh Oh, come come here, but only if you want to. And then the daughter's just like, Okay, I'll just stay here then. Yeah, like you said, there's weirdly when I was rewatching it, it's a lot funnier than I found it the first time I watched it. Like a lot of it is genuinely hilarious. Just because of some of the yeah. line deliveries and stuff, and some of the it's like eccentric ways of interacting with people, just makes me laugh. Yeah, they're like walking on the beach, and the guy's like, "Oh, he's a communist. Too many big ideas. Reads too much." I say, "Let the girls read. They love to read." <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, there is great writing all throughout. Like John Cassavetes is such a great writer. I think he just shows it off so well. In this film dialogue just feels so real like the conversations just sound like real conversations yeah natural dialogue love it she's asking that guy like if you want spaghetti there like all the workmates come over she's asking them all if, she, if they want spaghetti and like, like that guy's like sitting on the on the counter or something she like yells at him and then he like gropes her she's like oi would you like some spaghetti that scene, that bit is pretty hilarious. Yeah. And then there's like, it's like called back to, weirdly, like at the end, like where they're going to have spaghetti or something. And like this guy's like about to leave. He's like, oh, no offense, but I just don't like spaghetti. I'm not a spaghetti man. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a real bar bar. You can tell um, the actors are very, like, very passionate about. Um, the roles in the film because like both Gina Rowland and Peter Falk give everything into their performances like um Peter Falk even like put loads of his own money into the film because he was in the show Columbo which was a huge success and like because this is an independent movie he put a load of his own earnings from that show into the film because I think he just wanted to see it get made 
And apparently in a lot of the early screenings, when his name popped up on the screen, loads of people booed him because <laughs> they just oh. hated the character so much. <laughs> That's how you know you've done it right, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know if you guys know about uh, the movie Jean Dillman, uh, just like this like four-hour movie about this woman cleaning a house. I was just like, yeah. while watching this, I was like, this is like the polar opposite of that movie. I don't know yeah. why. It's just like, that, that's it. There's a lot more going on in this film than in that one. How do you know? You ain't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> don't need to see it. <laughs> <laughs> that's one I wouldn't recommend. But like, only if you... Like, really literally have nothing to do for three hours. <laughs> Apparently there was like, um, after the film was completed, there was a lot of issues when like getting it distributed. Like it was, the entire thing was filmed across, I think it was nine weeks in 1972. And John Cassavetti spent like over a year trying to get a distributor involved. Like apparently at one point he was going literally around to multiple theatres, like just hoping one of them would play the movie. Um, and I think in the end it only really like um, went somewhere because um, Martin Scorsese was like a huge fan of John Cassavetti's and because he like he'd put out Mean Streets the year prior and was like becoming like pretty big he like basically told a film festival that he was um, putting one of his films on that he um, would take his film out unless they would play that film as well so I think wow. he's to thank for this film getting a bit more attention than it would have probably otherwise thanks Martin we love you yeah that's a common theme of John Cassavetti's films he really really struggled to get any sort of like distribution for him a lot of them barely made their money back, if at all. Like, a lot of them just made a loss. It's yeah, a shame, I think really. this one only made, like, $12 million worldwide or something. God. It's a shame, really. People don't really want to take chances on movies like this. I don't know. You see it more, more today, I think. But then they still get an audience for these, like, indie movies. Maybe, like, even now it's... It's a lot better because now you you get like the streaming services that can take them on, or there's more there's more avenues to uh, distribute. Yeah, to be fair, even if maybe it didn't do as commercially well as it probably could have done or should have done, it's like still like a a very acclaimed movie. It's like like it was nominated for two Oscars that year. It's like still like considered one of the best films of the seventies by a lot of people. Like it's in the one thousand and one movies you must see before you die book. Um, Obviously, yeah. there's that whole sequence in um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things where they talk about it. Like, it's a very, like, well-thought-of film now. It's just a shame that maybe it could have done better and studios didn't take the chance with it. Yeah. Now I get to watch I'm Thinking of Ending Things again with with that in mind as well. <laughs> Any excuse to rewatch that movie. Yeah. You can actually understand that scene now. <laughs> there are layers. Like a good onion. Uh, I don't have anything more to say about this movie. Uh, do you guys? No, I'm good to go to ratings if you are. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Should we rate this out of spaghetti? Oh, yeah. We can do that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, this is an incredible movie. Super powerful, incredibly well written, well acted, well directed. I loved it. I'm going to give it 10 spaghettis out of 10. Nice. 
I think I'll have to watch it again at some point, but I do really like it. Um, and maybe just delve into more Cassavetti's movies uh, as well. But like the the it kind it kind of dragged a bit for me, honestly, with with the the long scenes. So I can't give it like top marks. But uh, for for now, I'll give it like a like an eight spaghettis out of ten. Yeah, still high. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of my favorite films of all time. It's like the perfect film to start watching if you're trying to get into John Cassavetti's films as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd give it ten spaghettis out of ten. <laughs> nice, nice. nice. Awesome. Yeah, I want to watch more of his films. I've only watched this opening night and Shadows so far, and I've enjoyed them all. Yeah. Wonderful. Now we got uh, my movie, my recommendation. It was a 2007 movie, Japanese, directed by uh, Masaki Iwana. Hope I pronounced that right. Probably not. Uh, it's called Vermilion Souls. It's really not available anywhere except for YouTube. Uh it's about like uh, 1952 Tokyo, a young boy he kind of strays on the grounds of like a mansion which houses uh, four people with an incurable disease that prevents them from being exposed to sunlight. And it's basically about him like getting to know these people and getting to know uh, the people yourselves. Uh, what, what do we think of this one? Eh? I don't really know what I watched, to be honest. <laughs> No? I felt like I was in a nightmare and <laughs> I couldn't wake up and everything was weird and yeah. I didn't know what was happening and someone got fisted <laughs> and then there was aggressive oral sex and yeah, I was just confused and scared. Yeah. There's that fisting scene. <laughs> Why'd they do that, man? I was like, why are you doing this? <laughs> I've seen this movie like three it. times now. For some reason, I always forget that that happens. <laughs> forget how much sexual stuff there is in this movie. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe you could have taken a lot of that out, but I just don't really mind like some of it. But that was maybe, like the maybe main if you're thing trying to make I a point, remember from it. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like maybe if you're trying to make a point about like like sexuality or like the the people who are here and like all they can do is like like they're waiting to die uh like being gassed and like all they can do is just like dance and have sex or whatever uh like maybe you could show that like what well, less less than less than you do because like it's like gets to a level like when that guy's hand is like completely inside her i'm just like <laughs> and the kid's watching and like she's paralyzed and i'm like What's what's happening here? Like, why are you doing yeah. this? I hope nobody walks in at this moment. <laughs> It'd be really hard to explain. Yeah, there's a lot of um dancing sequences because, like, I think the film was billed as like there's this Japanese dance theater called Buto, and it was like um billed as the first Buto movie because there's a lot of that dancing where it's like. It kind of looks like the people are almost having a stroke while dancing, like they're moving around in a very jittery and like almost distressful sort of way. And a lot of that yeah. that form of dancing has a lot of like very grotesque and um, sexual imagery. So I think a lot of the reason they have such graphic sex scenes in the film is because of that. And they really didn't mm. shy away from what they show either. There's like proper unsimulated oral and fisting in the film which I didn't 
quite expect when Kai said a woman's getting fisted. I didn't expect yeah. to actually see it like fully on show. Yeah. I didn't know that before. Makes me makes me like that scene a bit more. <laughs> yeah. But I think it definitely I think made it, me it, it understand works. the film a little bit more and understand what they were going for. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure I enjoyed the film completely as a whole it was kind of one that i appreciated what they were going for and liked a lot of the moments but overall i wasn't too sure yeah god yeah that's the thing do we like this movie is it like a good movie like did we enjoy ourselves while watching it because i did obviously i've seen this three times if i didn't enjoy it then i wouldn't have recommended it or i wouldn't go out of my way to watch it so many times i guess yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was an enjoyable experience, but it was like a unique experience. I can't say I've ever felt like that watching a film before. Like it was, and I really appreciated a lot of the technical elements because the sound mm. design is so off-putting and so weird. And um, there's so many weird like camera pans and snap zooms. And it was just a really unique style that I appreciated a lot. And it's clear they put a lot of hard work into it. Yeah. That was splendid, all the technical elements. I love the score. Like, the music is... Yeah, It's, definitely. like, very, like, sparse. It's not, like, in there a lot, but just, like, really great, like, uh, like sound design and soundtrack. Just, like, these, like, harp sounds or, like, piano sounds sometimes. Just really immersive. And it really helps that if, like, it's in black and white as well. And it's, like, um, I don't know the aspect ratio, but it's not, like, 16 by 9, is it? But it's, like, it's, like, cropped inwards like it's quite a closed frame but it really worked like the presentation i found to be very uh interesting and like maybe if you did this in another type of way it wouldn't it wouldn't work as well maybe it wouldn't like evoke the same kind of feelings because it's in this it's basically all inside this like one house um with all these people in it and i think you need the closed aspect ratio to feel like the claustrophobia of it all you've got all these people in this house like just waiting for death and like suffering all these like flashbacks to like the second world war that they were all involved in so they all kind of like want to die because of that um i think i get more of that every time i watch it just like how ptsd is like used in the film and how how the characters suffer with it yeah um Visually, it really looks like it's from the time that it's set. Like, it really does look like a film, like a Japanese film from the 50s with how it's, like, in black and white. It's incredibly grainy. A lot of the shots are, like, fairly, like, static. I think visually it looks great. Um, Like you said, there's a lot of, like, um, PTSD, like, war stuff in the film. A lot of, like, trauma images, which I think are really disturbing, like there'll be like points where the film's like fairly normal there's like a normal scene and suddenly it just cuts to that and it just like the volume like this just this gigantic shift in volume so it's super loud there's jarring sounds it's super disturbing and horrific but that's like probably the stuff i thought was the most effective in the film yeah it's certain like post-war japan i think it's a lot about like japan and it's um like how it was affected by the the Second World War and its recovery after that. You get a lot of characters um, just like out for the count, just like sitting there, like frothing in the mouth almost, just like reliving these horrifying memories. Um, 
there's like a woman who dies at the at the beginning you don't really like understand what what that was about it's just like they show like this woman being like shoved into a hole and, and it's like goes back to the kid and you're like oh i guess that was that <laughs> and then like he comes back and they're like we got to get her back because she died and there's supposed to be five people here for the gassing and there's not five people here alive and we can't get gassed we can't die that's like really like horrible to me did you like how like they went into like the hole to get her back like the kid and um oh, what was her name like uh christ Nien, nian yeah whose throat was slit i like that a lot just like they're down in this hole trying to find this corpse and it's like in reality it's like he just chucked the corpse down the hole that should be there when they get down but it's like they have to go through this whole like massive tunnel to get to yeah. her yeah everything was so off kilter in that whole sequence and then when they got to the beach and um yeah she's kind of there i don't know if it was a dream or what but she's like doing that weird dance thing with her head and then the kid yeah. sees the uncle and goes running to him and just everything about that scene was it creeped me out like badly mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah the dance sequences are quite strange like it's just that's a very unique like form of dancing that looks quite painful and is quite creepy to watch but i think like the atmosphere and sound design of that scene especially is like super atmospheric and strange like there's like ambient piano chords or something playing and there's like super loud wind chimes or something over it that the whole bit was just really creepy yeah it was it was very weird um but i like the dancing a lot i like the part where like he's on the um like the frozen lake and he's dancing and he's like just looks like he's having like a bad time but like that's like his like a form of expression for him it's like like i get a lot from like words don't really cut it in this film a lot of the time because it's so abstract it's like how are you going to communicate exactly what you want to communicate sometimes words are not enough so it's like you gotta you gotta put these like sequences in here with these characters dancing on like fisting each other i guess to get across like what what you want like maybe not like a solid message but it's like this is how i feel and this is how i feel about this time period and these people and like you can get kind of like an imprint of like what the director was going for i guess i mean it was written by him as well so this is like basically just like his baby in a way um but yeah i just i get like the feeling that it's like with all this dancing it's like a freer form of expression uh you get like a lot of like it's like feelings related to like trauma and PTSD and like having suffered for a war it's very difficult to to speak about that I think you hear cases about uh, people who come back from the war they're not themselves again they can't really com- communicate it with words in a way so I get a lot from like the the expression and like the the artistry of like the dancing mostly yeah yeah, I do like um just how abstract they like get that idea of trauma and stuff across. I think it works a lot better than if you like would show the characters like just crying and like really upset and struggling with it. <laughs> I think it's a much shot. more interesting take. Yeah. I got shot. It was painful. Then my leg got cut off. Don't understand. They speak a lot of different languages in this movie. If you guys uh, 
like clocked onto that. I don't even think I clocked onto that like the first time. Yeah, actually. I was I was going to say because you've got the the French guard and then I've forgotten her name, but the mm. woman that gets fisted, the paralyzed woman, she speaks <laughs> Italian in yeah. one sequence. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was to do with like the war theme again. So obviously there yeah. were two big countries involved in that war. I feel like feel like that's what it was for me. Mm. I don't like you know exactly what like the the meaning of it was, but it's like I, I like the inclusion. I think and, like everybody like is trapped in this one place where they all speak a different language. I guess or like mostly it's Japanese because they're in Tokyo, but like you get like a lot of like different people like the guy who the french guy is like being sent there to like watch over them and like he's like, he's like this terrible guard who's like crippled i'm like why'd they hire a cripple to guard these people from like running away he's like in like a flashback he's like running after this one guy who tries to run away just like hopping around on his crutches i'm like what but he's like he's not even guarding them really he's just like having sex with them <laughs> yeah I love um the film like starts off with like this plane in the sky and then there's like this bit of paper which falls onto like a tree or something I think it was that it like looked super jittery I think it might have been done using stop motion possibly but I thought that looked really cool yeah I caught that I don't really know what the flies mean it's like a see uh, something run see this guy run like, what does that mean well there's like um. You guys noticed like all the faces on like the walls? Yeah, they were terrifying. Yeah. I didn't notice it the first time, and it wasn't until the second time it showed that room or whatever it was. I was like, Jesus, look at that terrifying face carved into the rock. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, it is horrifying. Yeah. And then like there's a point at the beginning where the kid, or should I say, uh, don't call me a kid, she's like, all right, I'll call you young man. So the young man is like, he sees this face on the poster at the beginning before he goes to the, ho- uh, the the mansion. And it's just like this smiling face. And then like at the end, he goes back to it. And it's the face that was on the wall in the, mm. um, in the mansion, in the, the gas chamber. I don't, I don't know <laughs> what to think about. Like a lot of this stuff, I don't know what to think about it. And then like they make this like huge mural of that like horrifying face at the end. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of felt like it was linked to um, the the crippled Italian woman mm-hmm. because she, she in the like final gassing scene. Obviously, they say she survived it three times, um, and yeah. then in when we see it, she what does she say? Like curse them all or something, and she sounds like a demon or something. Yeah, and then that face appears, and I was like, is she this like perpetual PTSD demon? I don't know what was going on, but yeah, yeah, I had a lot of like weird theories to do with her. Yeah, she was a she was a great character. I really liked her. They're like, oh, she survived two of these gassings. I'm like, what the hell? And like, you don't know if it's like actually her at the end that walks out of the the mm. gas chamber, but it's like you kind of guess that probably probably it is. And like yeah. with like that demonic voice that she like put on, I'm like, she, I don't think she's human, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that final shot of her walking out was super creepy as well. I don't know what it was; mm. it just really unnerved me. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Love it. Um, there's like a tape as well that like runs from like the top of the frame down to like these bricks, and they show it a few times. 
don't know if it was like a tape or just like a piece of string or whatever. I've watched this movie three times. I still have no idea what that is. Yeah. I didn't really understand a lot of the film, no. to be honest. Yeah. Who, who knows? Who knows? I like how he, like, the the, the young man, he, he goes to the, the mansion. He doesn't really know any of these people. And then he just, like, starts calling them, like, auntie and uncle. I'm like, ah, oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Because he does, he yeah. gets into like this whole thing about like, oh, I'm really happy and my life is amazing, so uh, I'd be fine with dying because like, sure, I could live like more happy years, but I've been like really pretty good at, up until this point. And then like, it, it turns out that like his parents are estranged. Like his parents both had affairs, so that like he doesn't see them anymore or whatever. <laughs> it just makes that more more upsetting. Just like his circumstances, and then like cuts to like a shot at the end where it's just like on this pile of rubble I'm like is that his home lives on this pile of dirt yeah that was um that was the flashback that scared me most because there was like a really horrific scream and it sounded too real and I was like yeah. if they recorded someone <laughs> grieving for like a dead child for real because I wouldn't put it past them <laughs> at this point yeah who knows yeah could be. Is, you get a lot of people doing like weird stuff for their movies, just trying to make it as authentic as possible. Mm. They just like created a tragedy in someone's life, and they were like, "Let's record this as they scream." <laughs> yeah, I did find most of the imagery in the film really disturbing. A lot mm. of it's like very strange and creepy. It's like weird that the films like build as a drama because it, it's kind of a horror movie in some ways. Yeah, it's a lot of things. I think couldn't really find out like loads on it because it's not like it's just on YouTube. I think I can't really find anywhere else. It's not on like like physical copy. I would love a physical copy of this, just even a DVD. Just give me at least a DVD. They can't do that, so it's just on YouTube, I guess. Um, but it's a lot of things, so I don't even know like what the the age rating is. I feel like it's an eighteen. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I know if you can show this kind of stuff and not have it be an eighteen. Yeah, I I did check, and it from the looks of things, it like never got released in the UK. It doesn't look like it really got released anywhere. I don't know how it got online. I think maybe it must have come out in DVD in Japan or something with English subtitles, and someone just put it on YouTube. But I don't know. There's like no information about the film whatsoever. No, I was trying to look up like trivia on IMDb. Nope, nothing there. Yeah, but I was trying to like, find reviews for it, and I'd literally, it was just a barren wasteland. Yeah. That's kind of like an appealing factor about it to me. It's like this movie that like nobody knows anything about, so it's just like, and it's really like obscure and abstract, so it's like kind of, it's kind of what it's going for anyway, I mm. think, to like not even be perceived in a way. Yeah. Just like felt. I like that part where like the, the 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 French guy he's like sobbing because he just wants to die and like the the chief is there and he's like making his case to the chief just please let me die please and then like it cuts immediately as the ethereal music's going and the chief's just like I do not authorize it <laughs> that was hilarious yeah yeah I did like that um sequence where you've got the guy coming in like about to authorize all the gassing and stuff. And like they're asking him to let the kid go, and he's like, "No, there's someone missing, and we need five people to die. Otherwise, I'm going to lose my job." I thought that was really great. Yeah, the French guy like blackmails him. He's like, "I know you. 
you were like like transferred over to the Americans or something. You betrayed us for the Americans. And he's like, well, now you have to die. And they're like, just let the kid leave. He's like, no, he's heard everything. I could lose my job. Yeah. <laughs> just going to kill this kid now. <laughs> yeah, the chief was weird because he was like a stickler for rules. And then he literally changed his entire perspective on it a minute yeah. later. And he was like, rules are for fools. No one follows them. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, you've got to change your part. <laughs> It's different when your career's on the line, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Rules only apply if they work for you. The Disney motto. Good way to live your life. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have anything else to say. Don't know about you guys. I literally had four notes and we got through them pretty much straight away. <laughs> <laughs> God. It reminded me a lot of um, The Seventh Seal. I don't know if either of you guys have seen that. Yeah. Not. Yeah, that's a great film. Yeah. I, li- I like I like that more than this, just a bit. But um, I get the comparisons. I think. Yeah, that with, has like, a weird tone like to death. it as well. But. Yeah, not to do with death in those movies. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think I think we've <laughs> we've yeah. got all we can out of this. I would say like watch it. Honestly, it's on YouTube. It's pretty great. It's a very <laughs> like, unique if, movie. Yeah, if nothing else, you're gonna get a unique experience that you can't really yeah. get anywhere else. And you'll probably be of one of like only a couple thousand people in the world to have seen it. Yeah. Not a lot of people watching this movie. Yeah. Do we want to rate this out of fistings? I think you're going to yeah. say that. <laughs> we have to, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a very unique and interesting movie. A lot of it's super disturbing. I feel like I appreciated it more than I personally enjoyed it. So for that, I'm only going to give it like a six fistings out of ten but it's not a bad movie it's definitely a very unique experience i haven't seen anything like this so i'd recommend it literally just for that but no you're getting into something very strange yeah i was very interested to see what you guys would think of it honestly i wanted to recommend something weird and i think i've achieved that yeah (laughs) definitely yeah um this is a very very good movie I liked it a little bit less this time around, though, I'll be honest. Um, And it wasn't because of the fisting. (laughs) But I would say, yeah, uh, very interesting movie. And you can take away kind of whatever you want from it, because there's not really a lot out there to, like, there's no, like, explanation videos on YouTube or whatever. You can't really find out a lot about the movie. So it's just like this kind of, you, you get what you take away from it, and you can't really... Like, there's no, like, reviews to watch that tell you what to think about the movie. And I love that very much. Um, it looks amazing. Music's fantastic. Like, a fantastic score, honestly. I know we talked about it, but, like, maybe one of my favourite scores in any movie, honestly. It's so, like, it's brilliant. Um, nice. Uh, yeah. A curse on them all. Damn them all. Uh, eight fistings out of ten. Nice. Yeah, like you guys said, it's just a, a weird, unique experience. Um, I would recommend people watch it because from a technical level, it's really, really well made. And like you said, the score alone is probably worth you just watching it. Some of the creepiest scores I've ever heard. Um, but yeah, I'd probably say seven fistings out of ten. Nice. Nice. Right. On to our guest's film then. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, um, yeah, I recommended Homicide. Uh, I believe it came out in 1991. Uh, it's directed by David Mamet, who was a, 
like a playwright first and moved into films in the late 80s. Um, and it's all about a, a Jewish detective who is kind of on the brink of busting a big-time drug dealer because the FBI kind of failed. Um, but he gets caught up at a pretty basic just corner store shooting of an old Jewish woman. And he tries his best to get out of it, but he ends up getting assigned to the case anyways. And conspiracies unfurl. Yes, indeed they do. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was all right, honestly. Oh, I'll be honest, I didn't like get like loads out of it. Um, it was like shot by Roger Deakins as well. I was like, yeah. Really? Yeah, I didn't realise that. Roger Deakins? I was like, really? Yeah. I think the cinematography is good, but like... Not on that when level. I, when I hear of, of Roger Deakins' film, like, I think of something great, so... Yeah, I think of like 2049. <laughs> yeah. Compare it to this, it's like, oh, really? It's shot like, just like any other like basic like cinematographer would choose it, I don't know. Didn't really feel like Deakins. Mm. Yeah, I really like this movie. I think it does a good job of kind of taking like the genre conventions of a cop film, like what you'd expect it to be and kind of uses it as a setting to tell a story that's pretty different. Like I wouldn't say this is like your standard murder mystery or standard detective movie, really. I think there's a lot of unique like thing where you got the main character, Bobby played by Joe Mantegna, who um, it's kind of like very split because he's like, his peers kind of act very anti-Semitic around him and kind of look down at him because he's just a Jew. And, like, the, there's, like, Jewish people who don't really consider him a proper Jew for different reasons. So he's kind of, like, being pulled back and forth between the two. And I think that that is, like, what makes the film so interesting to me. Yeah, that whole theme of him having to come to terms with his Jewishness and how anti-Semitism kind of flies under the rug compared to other forms of racism um, and him coming to terms with that and him realising that he's played a part in that by, you know, being anti-Semitic himself. Um, that's a really interesting aspect. And I was saying to Chris yesterday that... I've got a massive soft spot for like detective films anyways. And then I've also got a soft spot for like films about pretty lonely men just coming to terms with themselves. So this film's like the perfect combination for me. Yeah. There's like that great scene where he's like on the phone to someone at like uh, the, the, the Jewish family's home. And he's like, he's saying like, oh, uh, so much anti-Semitism in the last 4,000 years we must be doing something to bring it about and then he like hangs up hangs out the phone and there's just like that woman on the sofa I'm like Phew. yeah that reveal always makes me like cringe because I'm like <laughs> oh that's so awkward yeah I don't know if I liked Bob though honestly as like a character and I feel like I've gotten like a lot of what this movie portrays in other movies I think about like prisoners or like black clansmen uh, that do this kind of thing like but just better i want to say bob's hair sucked it's just like i don't know yeah <laughs> i don't feel like he 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 was he was a good actor i guess but he was, didn't really bring like loads to the character 
I guess. It's just like not a character that really stands out to me. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I don't think it's a very, a very deep character. I think the story around him is more interesting than the actual character. Yeah. You got all like the anti-Semitism taking place, all like the Nazi stuff. Uh, that he's like, or like he's, I guess like the the most interesting parts about it for me is just like the fact that he's like this Jewish guy who's not really into like being a Jewish guy or like he's not really into like his faith. He's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm Jewish, but like whatever. He's like slags his own like uh, religion off and it's like, why are you, why are you Jewish then? So then, like, he, he gradually becomes, like, a bit more acclimatised to it. He wants to, like, get in with, like, what the other, like, the Jewish family are doing. He wants to solve this crime now that he wasn't originally tasked to. So I liked all that, but it's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, see, I'm the opposite, where I think he's a really interesting character because you never really find out anything about his home life or what he likes to do for fun. He's just on the job all the time. And the one time he's kind of put, in a position where he has to think about himself, he completely loses it, finds a way to make his own conspiracy out of like little bits and pieces that he finds and ends up basically ruining his career and getting his best friend and partner shot because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. It's quite like a tragic character, but yeah, I find him really interesting because of what's not said about him. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Like that part where like he was like the cop was cornered by a dog in the shop, that was funny. He's like, yeah, he's got to go into this shop, and then I was like, oh, that was it, just this dog here, whatever. You couldn't have figured that out himself. And then like this <laughs> dead woman's there. I'm like, oh, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the way when they first show up on the scene, he's like screaming for everyone to get into cover. He's like, how many people are in there? He goes, the dog. <laughs> what? Yeah, just a dog. <laughs> My first day on the job. There's a lot of um really great writing throughout. Dave and Mamet is just a, a generally a great writer. You can definitely tell that he has a history in playwriting because there's a lot of points where it does kind of feel like a play for better or for worse. Like a lot of the dialogue and how a lot of the scenes, a lot of them are quite self-contained, especially earlier on where there's most of the scenes are set in like a police station. And there's like a minimal amount of characters just interacting and stuff. I think, yeah, yeah it's just very well written, I think. I like the dialogue, or at least some of it, especially like towards like the beginning, I guess. He's like, oh, you're making jokes about like this black man that's been shot or something, or like, oh, I don't even remember. But it was like, oh, if it was a white man, there wouldn't be no jokes. So you get like the the fact that he's like Jewish and he's trying to come to terms with all like this stuff that's going on with like uh, anti-Semitism, but then like I like the contrast with like other like racism against like other other races as well. Yeah, I think the acting's um, really good all throughout. I like um, Joe Mantegna a lot in the film. Also, really love um, William H Macy in the film. Kind of wish he was in it. A bit more i think he's really good there's quite a few se- lines that he says that i really like like there's a bit where they're like arguing and he just goes i'm not going to invite you to my birthday party and that made me laugh so much <laughs> yeah william h macy steals every scene he's in yeah like i said yeah. i wish he was in it a bit more because i really enjoyed watching him in it it yeah, does I look agree. i noticed in the film um does anyone remember the show pinky in the brain yeah <laughs> he looks a lot like um 
it's either pinky or the brain from pinky and the brain, like yeah. kind of slender, big ears, kind of sucked in face. I was like, you look like a cartoon character. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you said pinky and the brain, I know exactly who you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. What did you guys think of um, the, the twist that this conspiracy wasn't actually a conspiracy and two kids literally shot this woman because they thought she had a fortune? In a shot. I like yeah. it. I like the way it's built up to. I think they handle it all really well. Yeah. I don't know. At that point, I was kind of like zoned out. <laughs> I was like out of it. It was just like, all right, these things might as well happen. And the kid comes out. He's like, oh, I told you. And I'd do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those two kids are like stereo. They're like Scooby Doo villains when they get caught. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What'd I tell you? I told you about the fortune. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a lot of people are quite mixed when it comes to that and like the ending because it's like a, a quite a depressing ending. Like yeah. Bobby gets fired, like his entire life basically crumbles because like he was going back and forth between being like dutiful to the police and being dutiful to like the Jewish people. And eventually he like he sided with the police and it like he got fired for it and he'd like destroyed everything a lot of people seem to be like quite negative towards it but i thought it fit the film well even if it yeah, is quite agree. depressing yeah so, i think it's the cost of like try, trying to like not be yourself and not accept who you are and if you don't if you don't pick a side then you end up just losing both and i feel like after the film ends he's probably a very lonely man yeah and he's been shot yeah, like twice or something. Yeah, I don't know how he did that time scene when he got shot like twice in the chest. I was like, okay, you'd definitely be dead. Yeah, yeah. He just like shows up to the police station. She's just got like a cane, just like walking stick. I'm like, oh, you're all right then. Maybe I'll go get shot. Yeah, get myself a cane. <laughs> I like the performance for um. Oh, what's his face? Randall, Randolph, or whatever that guy. Yeah, who, oh, who shot yeah. him? He was like not in it for, it. yeah, he was not in it for a, for a lot. It's like just that scene, but I thought he was very good. Yeah, he was very good. I didn't even realise it was Ving Rhames till I read about it afterwards. To be fair, no, because it was dark and it's <laughs> can't really see him. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of in the shadows a lot, so you can't really tell. Yeah, good job, Roger. I like the um the the character of uh, his mum. And the relationship she had with um, Joe Mantega's character, because you can yeah. feel like how guilty he feels because he he wasn't there to like make the arrest, and he had to go. He knows he has to go in and kill him now. Yeah, I do enjoy that stuff a lot. I read a review that um, said that there's loads of parallels between this film and the Holocaust, and like the whole film apparently is like a metaphor for that. Not sure how much weight that has. Yeah, I didn't get much of that, to be fair. No. I mean, it's got Nazis in it, I guess. Yeah, true. Nazis yeah. that own a model train shop. Yeah. It blows up yeah. the model train shop. He gets, like, super angry about it, just instantly. He's like, no, yeah. now I'm mad. <laughs> now I'm mad at the Nazis. I didn't care about my Jewish faith before, but now I care because I found this, like, Nazi paraphernalia in this train shop. Now I'm gonna burn yeah. it down. 
I think to me, I kind of get it because it's like if you were confronted by that and your whole life you think that that's in the past, like that was 1940s, this doesn't happen now. And you see that that, that kind of stuff's still out there. I'd be yeah. probably pretty angry, but I don't know if I'd be willing to blow up the shop and jeopardise my whole career. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think we got you on the tapes, Bobby? We got you on the tapes here. <laughs> now you're going to give us that list of names, all right? <laughs> yeah. We got evidence. I don't know how they got such clear Polaroid pictures of him either. Mm. <laughs> my po- my Polaroid. <laughs> like we're going to print this out on Polaroid. Yeah. Like, how did you get him developed that quickly? <laughs> it was in within the half hour. Very efficient. Yeah. I like how, um, what was it, Tim always calls him babe. Yeah. That's cute. I spent the entire um, film trying to work out where I recognised the lead actor from. And I remember he was in that film Baby's Day Out. Don't know if he, either of you have seen that <laughs> film. Yeah. Um, it's like a Home Alone-esque film about a bunch of guys who kidnap a baby and then the baby escapes. And like the kidnappers are trying to get the baby again so they can get a ransom and like the baby somehow like just crawls through things and they keep getting hurt in funny and wacky ways next recommendation (laughs) (laughs) but yeah this this is definitely a step up over that film oh thank god for that yeah (laughs) want to watch want to watch a movie that was worse than baby's day out (laughs) that should be pretty that'd be pretty bad (laughs) Yeah, I was, oh, I was reading up on this film. Apparently, it was a massive influence on Paul Thomas Anderson, which I don't. I thought it would have been a bigger influence on the Coen Brothers. Yeah, because it felt like a big Coen Brothers film to me. But yeah, apparently, Paul Thomas Anderson loves David Mamet and the way he writes dialogue and stuff. Yeah, I could definitely see it with Coen Brothers, not really Paul Thomas Anderson. But to be fair, Paul Thomas Anderson just seems to have a very weird taste in film. Yeah, one of his favorite films of all time is Big Daddy. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic show. Movie. What are we all missing about Big Daddy that it's so great? <laughs> We're gonna watch that movie. Yeah, reminds me of how um <laughs> Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys' favorite films, Norbit. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> what are we missing from all these horrible movies that makes them so yeah. great? What's so great about Norbit? We'll have to do a Norbit marathon. Um, I don't actually have any more notes. Don't know about you guys. No, we didn't talk about it loads, but I didn't have loads to say about the film. No, it's a pretty like straightforward film. Like everything's done everything's pretty basic, like on a technical level, but it's just done well. There's not much you can really talk about from a technical standpoint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did like the score though. Yeah, the score's really good. Yeah, I found myself just a lot of the film just kind of engrossed in what was happening. I kept forgetting mm. to write down notes because I was just enjoying the film. Yeah. I didn't like when that police car showed up and like crashed into another police car that was parked. Yeah. And then it like cuts <laughs> so like you don't see the explosion. And like, all right, well, why'd you do that then? And then it like cuts back to it and it's all on fire. I'm like, I wish you'd have shown that. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ratings, should we go? Yeah. What should we rate this one out of? I'm not gonna say what I was gonna say. Um is it Grow Fats? Is that the other name for Hitler? Yeah. <laughs> Turns out it was just pigeon feed. 
Yeah, just grow fat's pigeon feed. <laughs> we'll do it out of that. <laughs> out of what? Grow fat's pigeon feed. <laughs> grow fat's pigeon feed. Yeah. Grow fat's pigeon feed. Okay. I, I'm still not really sure I understand what you're saying, but I'll what just the hell are not. you talking about? It's grow fat's pigeon feed. Don't you watch the movie? Even I remember grow fat's pigeon feed. Who's right there? It was like at the end of the movie where he's like holding that like letter about like grow fat's pigeon feed, and he looks really sad because he's lost his job. He's like, oh yeah. man, I better go get this pigeon feed now. <laughs> also, like three days ago, I don't really remember it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I like this movie a lot. I think it's a very well-written, interesting detective movie. Like Kai said, I'm also a sucker for detective movies, so I got a lot out of it. I liked seeing that it was different compared to like other crime dramas like in a similar vein. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm going to give it eight Grow Fats Pigeon Feeds out of ten. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, not me. I thought I was fine. I thought I was all right. Uh, again, can't believe Roger Deakin shot this. Like, really? I'm not like trying to shit on like the look of the movie, honestly. But like, really? I like some of the writing as well, and uh, you know, I love when you can blow some Nazis up. So I'll give that to it. <laughs> but overall, I don't know. I wasn't really invested, and I kind of uh, wasn't like paying like so much attention towards the end, where it just kind of like bored me a bit. Um. So I'm I'm just going to give it a... I'm right down the middle, really. A five, Grofad's Pigeon Feed, at a ten. Nice. Yeah, I'm... I'm uh, I can definitely see, like, both sides of the coin um, with the film. But, like I said, it's like a perfect m- mix of, like, two of my favourite things in film. So I'd probably say nine, Grofad's Pigeon Feed, out of ten. Nice. Spicy. Spicy, <laughs> spicy. <laughs> Very nice. Awesome. That's three movies in the bag. We did it. And it only took some amount of time. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Should we get into the recommendations for next week? Yeah, sure. Um, So we've got another guest next week. Um, My girlfriend Darcy is going to be on the podcast. And her film recommendation is actually going to be our first documentary we've talked Hmm. about on the podcast. That should be interesting. She's picked um, the film Minding the Gap, which is on BBC iPlayer. Really good documentary. Nice. My pick is um, another fairly depressing one, so it should be interesting. Um, We've talked about Charlie Kaufman before when we reviewed Eternal Sunshine, but we've not talked about any of the films he's directed so my pick is Select Key, New York. Brilliant. Can't wait for that one. That is a depressing movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's great. <laughs> uh, my recommendation is, I guess you could call it a depressing movie as well. <laughs> it's it's not like that depressing, honestly. It's it's more like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what it is. Um, but I've been wanting to recommend this since like we started the podcast. And I figure... Uh, now's as good a time to recommend it as any. It is uh, one of my favourite movies. It's a 2017 movie directed by David Lowry called A Ghost Story. Nice. That was a pretty depressing movie. 
just depends how constant fame of sadness it. next week. Yeah, yeah, depends how you slice it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, we've got if you if you if you don't know, episode thirty-five, Westworld season one. That's coming. That's coming up. Be ready for that. And of course, we've got our social media accounts. We got YouTube, the Sunday Movie Marathon, Twitter at Sunday Movie Pod, Facebook at Sunday Movie Marathon, and Letterboxd at Sunday MM. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Kai, for coming on this very special episode. It's all right, no worries. Thanks for having me. Had a good time. Yeah, it was fun. It's a shorter episode, but I think it went well. Yeah, yeah sure. Fun stuff. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week on the Sunday Movie Marathon. Farewell. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. <laughs>